Good morning, all. Good to see you all again. After a wonderful Christmas party last night, my wife sends her her love and <clears throat> just uh, overtaxed and with smoke and everything had a little bit of little bit of swelling in the neck, so just kind of taking our time and letting her recover and. Uh, the littlest child also has was very tired and so on. So they stayed home, but wanted to be here. But last night was wonderful. It was great to see you all. I would like to talk a little bit about the passage that I read last night at the Christmas party from my favorite Christmas book of the Bible. Normally, when you think of the Christmas story, you think of the Gospels, because obviously that's where the, the actual Christmas story is written for us. We have it in Luke, we have it in Matthew. But my favorite book of the Bible when it comes to Christmas time is the book of Isaiah. Because the book of Isaiah gives us so much theological backdrop to the, the story of the coming of the Messiah that is just so rich and so glorious. And so that's where I would like to turn today. If you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. You're probably familiar with Isaiah chapter 53 as the suffering servant passage. And it's full of a lot of familiar verses. I'm not going to read the entirety. Of, I'm just going to kind of skim through Isaiah 53 through 55. We're not going to read it all right now. But... The three points that I want to bring out are as follows. Condemnation, substitution, and invitation. And that's really the Christmas message in a nutshell. In, I mean, how do, you, how do you sum it up? There are so many things, right? It touches everything. The coming of Christ touches everything from, from the heart level to the ends of the earth. Like, there's nothing that is not covered in the full orb message of the Christmas story. But if we boil it down to at least one of its most foundational elements, it is this right here. Condemnation, substitution, and invitation. Starting in chapter 53. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Who are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the Messiah. I don't know if it's true or not. I haven't followed out the, the footnotes, but I have heard that um, Orthodox Jews will not even read Isaiah 53 in synagogue because it is so clearly a, a testimony to the, the truth of Christ as the Messiah. So don't quote me on that. I have to ch- chase down the footnotes, but it makes a lot of sense because it's clearly about Christ, it describes his sufferings, his passion, it describes what he went through, and it describes the Messiah as something more than just a political hero. He's not just somebody that comes and defeats the, the oppressors in simply a political sense. There's something else going on here. 
Uh, if you miss the three points, the three points are condemnation, substitution, and invitation. Going from Isaiah 53 through 55. So we're on point one, condemnation. I'm going to start in 53 verse 4. And I would just like to really focus in on the word our in these verses. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. So condemnation. Our wages, the wages of sin is death. The Christmas story starts off with an important presupposition an important foundational assumption that something is broken. That's the whole reason that there needed to be a Messiah. That's the whole reason there needed to be an atonement is because sin is real and it runs deep in the heart of man. We can't extract it from ourselves using our own self-improvement, our own 12 rules for life, our own diet and exercise, our own fill in the blank. We're sinners all the way down to the core. We're broken, we're lost, and we dwell under the wrath of God, under the condemnation of his law. He is holy. He is just. His justice will not sleep forever. And he will bring punishment on the wicked. And he is right to do so. We can't understand the rest of the story if we don't understand that first. The gospel, we were talking about this yesterday, it shows up, it's like the stars in the sky. The darker the night sky is, the brighter the stars. So it is with the gospel. If our understanding of man is that we're basically okay, we're pretty much good people that kind of need a little bit of help, a little bit of polish around the edges sometimes, then Christmas doesn't really make sense. And you can see why it would wind up reduced to fat man in red suit brings presents. Yay! Because that's all we really need is presents to make us feel warm and fuzzy inside. If that's our understanding of the problem. But what does God tell us the problem is? And what have we, I mean, what do we see over and over and over again? In spite of all, of all of humanity's best efforts to believe in ourselves, nevertheless, the ugly reality of sin rears itself into our face again and again and again. And God tells us the wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's bad, in other words. Our condition is really bad. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Stone cold dead, as dead as a doornail, as Charles Dickens might say. The situation was grim, very serious. And this is the context historically when we come to Christ. Right now we're looking at the prophecies that Isaiah is making, talking about this Messiah who's going to come. And you've got this yearning throughout history. This starts at the very beginning. We have the fall. Eve eats the fruit. Adam listens to the voice of his wife, eats the fruit. God punishes them. God punishes the serpent. And he says, one day you will bruise his head and he will crush your heel. And that's when it started. That's when the Christmas story started. Well, it started in the eternal plans of God before time immemorial, right? But from, from our perspective, in the linear timeline, that's when the theme is introduced of this, 
this hero that's going to come, this, this dragon crusher who will step on the head of the serpent is going to come. That starts in Genesis, and they're looking forward to it all throughout the Old Testament. And Isaiah is telling us about this person who's going to come. Andrew Peterson, if you haven't listened to Andrew Peterson's Christmas album, Behold the Lamb of God, highly recommend that. Very different than a lot of Christmas music, but meditations on the prophecies and the coming of Christ. And he has this one song about Israel wanting a king. We want a king on a throne full of power with a sword in his fist. Prophet, tell us, will there ever be a king like this? And Isaiah says, he will have no beauty, no form. He'll be rejected and despised. Just beautiful, powerful stuff. But that's the yearning, the yearning of the people of God through the ages who are under condemnation, under the condemnation of the law. God's law is given and shows us our sin. God institutes sacrifices, but the sacrifices, Scripture tells us, they never actually fix the problem. If they did, what does Scripture say? If they did, they wouldn't have to be offered year after year after year. If they actually perfected our conscience, if they actually fixed the problem, we wouldn't need yearly sacrifices. So what were they doing? They were pointing to a lamb that was going to come. Why? Because we were under condemnation. And it ran all the way down. And it was fully, fully deserved. So we need to be reminded of the holiness of God, of the wrath of God, and of the depth of our own depravity. Because if we don't see that, I keep wanting to quote Dickens, it's Christmas time. But nothing else that I'm going to tell you can seem wonderful unless you understand that humanity was dead as a doornail. We were. All of us. And not just back then, all of us today, until we're made new in Christ, are still dead. We're still walking dead men. Under the condemnation of a holy God and destined to eternal torment. If there's nothing else to help us understand how bad sin is, then think about it this way. Sin is so bad that it is just for God to send someone into eternal torment because of their sin. And that is the just wage for that sin. That's pretty bad. That's pretty serious. And that is the condemnation that we were under. That is what we deserved. That was our just reward for the sin within us. Okay, so that's number one, condemnation. That is the black backdrop upon which springs the light of the gospel. Number two, substitution. So how does this work? We deserve this. This punishment has to be meted out for our sin, our pride, our idolatry, our lust, our anger, our covetousness, all of it. That punishment has to be paid. The, crimes, the crime is there, and a just judge can't just sweep it under the rug. Enter Christ. Christ comes onto the stage, the baby in the manger, to do what? Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed, crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. 
All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. We're the ones that left the fold. We're the ones that ran away. We're the ones that broke the law. We're the ones that deserved the stripes. And that man on the cross carried them all for us. And that is the gospel. That is the baby in the manger. That's what he came for. To be the Lamb of God, what does John the Baptist say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This line stood out to me in Acts. Chapter 13. This is Paul. He's preaching. This is Acts 13, 38. This phrase stood out to me. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, of course, we're talking about Jesus, through him, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Of all the things Paul could have said, he says, through him, through this Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. You can be free. Your debt can be paid. Your punishment is no longer yours if you come to this Savior He carried it. He took it to the cross. You're free. You're justified. You're walking out of that courtroom, head held high, arms in the air, free. It's done. He himself bore our griefs, carried our sorrows, pierced through for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The Lord caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. We would do well to meditate on that. Jesus said, he who has been forgiven much, loves much. And when we meditate on the cross and we think about Christ being crushed for me, because of me, in my place, taking my wage and giving me his righteousness, that helps us realize how much we've been forgiven. And that helps our hearts be full of the love that our God is worthy of because he first loved us. Condemnation, substitution, invitation. Could just read the rest of the three chapters. I'm not going to. I'm just going to go to 55, verse 1. Starts with a shout. Yes! Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you have no money, come. Buy and eat. What do you have? What do I have to deserve this? Nothing. That's the point. It's an invitation to the poor. It's an invitation to those who cannot afford it. Come. Come to the feast. Come and be satisfied. Come taste and see that the Lord is good. The price is paid. The lamb has been slain and he did not remain slain. Death is defeated and his robes of righteousness are yours to wear and to walk into the presence of the Almighty forgiven 
and clean. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? How, how much time do I do spend spending money for what is not bread? Trying to find satisfaction in something else out there. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. God keeps his covenants. He keeps his covenants and in his mercy, he saves a people that doesn't deserve it, that can't earn it, can't save themselves, can't fix their problems. But this is the love of Christ. That he comes from heaven, does not grasp his equality with God, sets it all aside, becomes an infant in a manger, and grows up to be, start, starts in the manger and ends on a cross, but that's not where it ends. Ends at the right hand of the Father, where he will reign until all his enemies are a footstool for his feet. Praise God for that. What a story and what great love that God has shown to us. And what an invitation. So that's, that's the last point there. The invitation. This should be on our lips. This should be the fragrance that the world around us sees. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Not everybody who's worthy. Not everybody who's like me. Not everybody who smells nice or makes me comfortable. Not everybody who has their life put together. Everyone. Everyone needs Christ. And the invitation goes out to everyone. And the thirstier you are, the needier you are, the more you are like the woman of the night that washed Jesus' feet with her hair, the better. Obviously, this is not to say... Living a life of sin sets you up better for the gospel. No, the sooner you come to Christ and the more sin you can avoid, the better. That's great. But when it comes to the availability of the gospel, it's there for everyone. And the thirstier you are, Jesus says what? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be satisfied. If you're not satisfied, maybe we're not hungering and thirsting for the right thing. But oh, let us present that invitation. We live in a world that so desperately needs it. So needs it. Come. Come and be satisfied. Come to the manger. Come to the cross. Taste and see. Come to the feast. There's no other name. There's no other name. Your problem, my problem, person on the street, your problem is sin. The solution is the lamb. Come and meet the Lamb. Did you know? Did you know you can be free? Did you know you can be forgiven? Did you know that that punishment that your conscience tells you you deserve, that guilt that you know you bear, did you know that someone took that for you? And that it's a standing invitation from the very throne room of God that you can be forgiven, you can be free, you can be new, and you can be a part of the greatest story ever told? You want to be on the right side of history. That's the right side of history. On the team of the conquering king, the one who reigns over all. That's the right side of history. And there's nobody that's outside of this call. There's nobody that is too far gone. What hope. What a glorious invitation. 
So we get to go and invite people to the feast. Not everyone will like it. Some will refuse it. But let it not be our shortcoming in making the offer. Because our God was so generous in making that offer to us. So let us come to the feast ourselves. And then let us share that invitation with a world that so desperately needs it.